Dear Diary, today I take the next step, the next step in being an ADHD life coach at Indigo Hub. I can't believe it's happening. I want to build, create and discover a place for us to truly be ourselves. I think this journey will be... Dear Diary, welcome world to the Indigo Diaries and welcome to our exciting new series, Series 3, The World Through Our Eyes, with your host, me, Tasha Hicken. The Indigo Diaries is a podcast for those who want to learn about ADHD through others and our own experiences. So today we're going to jump in with a start in the conversation where we go deep into a topic that's not really talked about enough in the ADHD community and go right into detail and explore what we find. And what I love about this podcast is meeting new people. And a few months ago, I put a post on LinkedIn and some really amazing people reached out. And here's another one. And I'm so honored to kind of have Amy with me today. So welcome, Amy. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank you. So um, it's a bit different today because we're not we're, we're not only here to discuss Amy, but we're here to kind of discuss, discuss her and her amazing expertise, but also kind of an amazing kind of technology feature which we're going to, that is in the ADHD community. And we're going to kind of mention that kind of in the second half today. And that's QB Tech. Everyone, I just kind of wanted to kind of take a quick kind of break in this session today and just kind of um, give you a bit of an overview of kind of my experience with QB Tech. So QB Tech is something we're going to be discussing today. And when they approached me, I was just, I didn't really know what it was. And um I did a QB check test myself and I would kind of like to give you a quick kind of overview of my experience I'd never really had an objective test before for my ADHD I'd had a small one but I, it didn't really do anything for me I'd had clinical interviews and everything like that when I did QB check this was uh, about three years after my diagnosis and I was quite I was quite curious about kind of what it would do so I I had a great person who went through everything with me I went on and I was really nervous I got told not to take medication I was really nervous and uh, I took this 20 minute test and during that test I had to sit straight and kind of focus on what was going on and it was a really hard test and I'm not going to lie it wasn't hard but the results that I got from the test were beyond what I could believe got this test and it and it was so visual the results it was so visual I could see how in the test my ADHD showed up I could see how my inattentive inattention showed up I could see how my impulsivity showed up and my hyperactivity and I couldn't believe it from an online test you know a lot of my ADHD is is definitely from my own opinion from my family's opinion from my you know previous um evidence from when I was a child but this was hard science evidence that I never really had and this is three years down the line of being being diagnosed and when I looked at my results I was like oh my goodness I'm still as hyperactive and impulsive as I was back then and it made me quite stop and realize of of how much this could validate other people Three days down the line, I'm doing pretty well. I'm managing my ADHD. Yeah, it's still a struggle, but I'm managing okay. But my ADHD, no matter how much medication, how many things I've done, it is still the same. However, I learned how to adapt and how to live my life with ADHD. And this test just showed me so much. And this episode was really important for me to, to, to uh, record because it shows that sometimes a subjective test alone is not enough to kind of sometimes make you realize, wow, I have ADHD. And three years down the line, I know I have ADHD, but this just validated it even more. And that's how important this episode was to me because I want listeners to explore the concept of an objective diagnosis and the objectiveness that QB places that QB check can bring. So on with the episode. So I'm going to give you a bit of a bio on Amy and then we'll jump in. So Amy Quinn is a physician assistant and a clinic and, and clinical ADHD specialist in Kansas where she lives with her two children. After years of unsuccessful treatment of anxiety and depression, 
Amy was diagnosed with ADHD at 40. The diagnosis sparked a new flame in her and she realised she needed to help others who have been misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. As a PA, Amy is the proud owner of a private practice in Kansas where she focuses on diagnosis and treating neurodivergence. And kind of just give you a bit of a bio on QB Tech is ADHD management needs shaking up. QB Tech was founded to do just that. The founders understood that first-hand experience from the diagnostic process is complex and time-consuming. They also realized that diagnoses were based solely on subjective data and were determined to create a more objective approach. Since 2000, QB Tech has been focused on a technology-first approach to ADHD assessments, combining both objective and subjective data to give patients a better and clear diagnosis. So very exciting to not only have you, but obviously, you know, you use QB Tech. But before we kind of jump into that kind of part of the diagnosis, I want to kind of know a bit, I think our listeners need to know a bit about you, Amy, and kind of what kind of your connection is to ADHD. So over to you. So um, I was diagnosed late in life, like a lot of other women. Um, I was told my whole life that I had anxiety and depression. I took multiple medicines um, and those things never really got better. So um, in, in healthcare, if you, um, if you don't get better from whatever ails you, there's usually a few things wrong. Either you have the wrong diagnosis or the wrong medicine. So I went through a few medication changes and then it was brought to my attention um, that I had the wrong diagnosis. And so um, after receiving my adequate diagnosis and treatment, um, it, it changed everything, changed how I dealt with my patients and my family and even myself. Um, it was, it, it literally was life-changing and I know it's the same way for other people. So when I went into practice, I, I really did realize that there was no one um, in our region, if not even further, that was focusing on neurodivergence. Um, it, it really is left out. Most yeah. providers, whether physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, they don't receive a lot of training for neurodivergence at all. We get those very subjective questionnaires to ask your kids mm -hmm. to screen. Um, and if that's if they meet the questionnaire, they get one or two medicines. And if it's wrong, then they're just out of luck. They're just left to fend for themselves. And so I figured it had to be somebody and it should be me. I love that. Um, and using your own experience to help kind of, you know, and taking what you what you've had and then taking that and making it different for people. Do you think that you said there that there's in your area, there's not a lot of kind of support and help for people with, you know, neurodiversity. Do, do you think that's why it never got picked up for you? I think it didn't get picked up for me because of my age. Mm. Um, you know, people that were growing up in the 80s, they if you were a boy and were disruptive or destructive, then you would often get that diagnosis. Yeah. But girls, because as a whole, not everyone, as a whole, we don't display symptoms like that. Yeah. Um, so of course, by the time we are masking and doing all of those things, the average provider thinks that's anxiety. And that's understandable to think that. Mm -hmm. So I think I was missed um, because I was a girl growing up in the 80s. Honestly, we just didn't know. No one knew how ADHD really looked in women or little girls for that matter. So I think, you know, a lot of it is society. Um, but I also think the way we, we look at it now is, is different. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's that thing of sometimes it's not the right help, but obviously back then the, the, there wasn't that kind of awareness that there is mm -hmm. now. I mean, it's still far from being what we, what we need, but it's, it is far, I, I, I can assume it's far better and it was far better than when I was a kid. So kind of, Definitely. you've kind of took that. So what process did you go through? You got diagnosed and then what process did you kind of go through after that? So I feel very lucky that I was, it was brought to my attention that I had ADHD by a, an attending. Um, and she downright told me, you need to see your doctor. This is an anxiety. You have ADHD. And I was completely confused. I was dumbfounded because I didn't, I didn't know. Um, so then when I went to my personal physician and told him the things that she had told me, he, of course, uh, oh, oh my gosh, I didn't see it. I didn't, 
it's all right there. It's been there. I, I just didn't put two and two together. And so I was immediately sent to a psychologist where I received um, testing. Um, I was, I did a TOVA test, which is very common. Um, it's probably been the, you know, the standard of testing for many, many, many years. And um, I received an EEG. I went through a whole workup and that's when I got my diagnosis. And my, luckily enough, my PCP was on board. As soon as he realized that a mistake had been made, he was right on board with treatment, uh, diagnosing and treatment. Good. I know others are not that lucky, though. No. Yeah. Luckily, I also was educated in healthcare, so I could communicate with him. I was then a, almost a peer at that point. Yes. So he's definitely going to spend more time with me, hear my concerns and hear what his other peers had to say about the behaviors that they had noticed. Yeah. Other people are not as as secure as that. They don't even have the verbiage. They don't have the ability to even know something's wrong and who to call. I had that person at my fingertips. Yeah. So it's very different for other people. I, I, I can see that absolutely. Yeah, because that diagnosis, but also, you know, we're talking about diagnosis, but it's not just a diagnosis and that's it, which a lot of people think, right? You get diagnosed, that's it. But it's the diagnosis and the treatment. And if you've not got that at your fingertips, or you don't know where to go. It can be quite overwhelming and quite scary. So kind of coming back to kind of your practice, you know, you, you wanted that for your community where you are. So what is it that kind of, you know, your diagnosis process looks like? Usually if people are coming to my office, they have probably already seen their PCP and PCP is unsure. They, they think it could be anxiety. It could be ADHD. They're probably have already been to therapy and things just aren't working. Mm -hmm. um, so I being, being the, the person in my community, the expert in my community, um, I get lots of referrals from pediatricians, PCPs, um, therapists. So when someone comes to my office, they are probably 90% um, headed in the direction of neurodivergence on some level someone yeah. else has said to them something's not quite right here mm. when they come to my office unlike um, any other office um, that I'm aware of in my area um, I do of course patients have to fill out all of the very normal um, standardized self-reporting scales mm. uh, the Vanderbilt and so forth so they have filled those out and then I do require all of my patients if they have not already received a TOVA from another provider, yeah. um, they're required to take an objective test, the QB tech test. Okay. okay. Then from there, we discuss man management. What does that look like? Um, where, where do we go from there? So luckily I can diagnose and treat in my office. A lot of people's will, people, excuse me, will go to just um, psychologists. Um, they can give diagnosis, but then they're still left to find treatment. Um, so that is a problem because then if you can't get in with your primary care, who may or may not even be comfortable with that realm, to get into a med provider can be very challenging. I mean, I have a wait list to get in to see me. So it, it can be difficult. So they come in, they answer all of their questionnaires. I do a complete workup. Is it medical? Is it psychological? Can I blame it on something else? Mm. Is there inattentive, inattentiveness linked to some other comorbid condition or yeah. differing problem? Yeah. And then we talk about treatment and where to go from there. All in the same office. Usually, um, usually uh, we try very hard to do it in the same visit. Um, but if all of their paperwork and self-reporting skills are finished, and I already have reports from the prior providers, physicians, pediatricians. It makes the process a little bit smoother. Wow, I think that's amazing that, you know, because obviously with people with ADHD or neurodiversity, it can be quite hard, that actual daunting process of a diagnosis because there's, it's like, right, I think I've got it. I've got to go to this person. Then you've got to wait. Then you get referred to this person. Then there's this questionnaire to fill out and this. And you're doing it all by yourself. And the whole point of being there is because things like this you struggle with. But I like that that you 
do it all there so that they have that support and it makes it easier more accessible right oh absolutely yeah absolutely because their care is in one place so yes, I have to refer back out for therapies, occupational therapies. Yeah. Um, but even then I have such an amazing network of therapists who support me and my patients. The communication is better. There are just, there are just positives when you're in a community. So yeah. if you don't have a community, you make that community. And I think we've done a really good job of that here at my practice. Good. And, and that's really nice. Like what kind of, like in your kind of, you know, experience so far, kind of in this, in this area, what do you kind of find some of the pitfalls when it comes to diagnosis, maybe not at your clinic, but in kind of in general? In general, we see lots of stigmatism, even with providers, people think because they are educated and they have a textbook and they know, you know, best guidelines. We have algorithms, we know treatment, yet people will still be mistreated and not following best medical practices due to stigma. Um, it's, we, we can't remove those things from healthcare on every level. And so I think that really is a hindrance. We also look at a hindrance in the, wor the words I'm trying to find, uh, just in society in general. Yeah. The, the stigma along with a parent who knows their child is struggling and they try to find support on social media, which for the most part is amazing. Most yeah. of us find support on social media and are just feel supported. We get education. We find others who are like us, but some parents get into those wrong groups and they're given misinformation based on old science, yes. um, wrong just wrong ideologies. Most people who have ADHD and use stimulant medication are nowhere near drug seeking. They do not have addiction problems. Science actually tells us that when they're untreated, they're more likely to seek out drug use and those things. But those stigmas still just continue to just run rampant in outside the medical community and inside the medical community. Mm. Yeah. And, that, and I and think that that's the largest piece. Yeah. And I agree because because when, like you said, it's everywhere, the stigma. Right. So that can actually mm -hmm. stop a child or an adult going to the doctor's office. But then if there's no stigma on that side, and they go to the doctor's office. Then there could be stigma on that side to get, you know, misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. So it's just there's not this kind of, you know, coherence. There is a lot going on with social media. Yeah, I get it. But some of it, you know, you know, all oh, medication does this to you. Medication does that. How many times I hear that with, with a lot of my clients is someone told me this, someone told me that because there isn't this right, accurate information getting out, which stops kind of people getting diagnosed and then the undiagnosed and misdiagnosed from, you know, physicians. Absolutely. And then when you consider that ADHD is a clinical diagnosis, it is a very subjective diagnosis. Do you meet these criteria? When did your symptoms begin? Does it happen in more than one arena? Is it home, school, church, you know, is it affecting you in emotional ways, educationally? Do you meet all these criteria, but it's still very subjective. And so most people say, physicians, providers of all sorts say, well, if they can just answer the right questions, then you give them a diagnosis. But that's not true at my office. At my office, you will, yes, you have to meet all of those clinical criteria, but that's when those objective tests come in. They measure, they measure how inattentive, how hyperactive, how impulsive you are compared to your peers. So it's very validating for these people to have something tangible. It's not my idea. It's not their idea. Mm -hmm. It's not, hey, I looked online. I think I might have ADHD. It's I have these symptoms. Now what? What is there anything else? Is there something to help us guide us with something tangible to hold on to to see what's truly happening? Yeah, and I think that subjective obviously adds to the stigma because people may not believe it because it is so subjective. But then there's also that what I see with people is when they might not believe it because it's like, well, I've just struggled my whole life. This is what I think it is. 
but is it actually and I get a lot of people that question their diagnosis I did after I questioned it like why wasn't this picked up before blah blah because it's so subjective by people's opinions right and what they see in you and how you show it so you you've and I know in the UK we use a lot of subjective tests rather than objective so obviously that's you know why we were connected here so kind of tell us a bit about kind of the objective test of uh QB tech that you use? So I use QB tech for one because Toba testing can take a very long time. Um, those workups can take hours or days and can be very, very um, expensive. Once you get in to see someone, it, the, those, that testing can be very expensive and prohibitive. Um, so I use QB tech. I think um, there, I, I think it is superior, I really do. In time alone, I can have a child or an adult um, testing and finished with this objective testing in 20 minutes. Children are a few minutes less. Adults who are inattentive or hyperactive, their test is 20 minutes. Um, and so they're not, we're not forcing someone who's already uncomfortable. Lots of these people, you know, the majority of us have anxiety anyway, right? Because we're not fitting in or are we doing well on this test? What are we doing? So we use this QB and it's not a knowledge-based test. It's not. People think there are going to be questions. Who is the president in 1942? It's not that kind of a test. Mm. It's really, it is shapes and colors and it's not something you can study for. It is not something that if you're not brilliantly smart, you can't, you know, do well in that and I even have to tell people it's not about doing well you don't pass or fail it's not a it's not a graded thing Mm. it's a scale thing and how well do you perform you know how well do you perform near your peers how like your peers are you so they come in they get worried because they think it's question answers and it's (laughs) not so do you you see colors and shapes on a screen and if the shape and color for one stimulus, if the next one behind it is the same, you click a button. Okay. And the, the scientists who are way smarter than me have figured out that how you click, when you click, did you even see that stimulus? Did you even respond to it? Um, indicates, did you, do you have a delayed reaction? Did you miss it all together? Did you even respond to the stimulus at all? Are you, did you pre-respond to the stimulus? Mm. Did you do all of these things? It happens so fast that people see four, uh, 400 and something stimulus within 20 minutes. Wow. That's a lot. It is. It is a lot. Um, but it is what they have decided is the appropriate amount of stimulus to keep someone engaged as they possibly can get accurate information spit out data that um i don't change the patient the patient doesn't change um and gives us something tangible in the end how far off of you know regular basic (laughs) i saw you put i saw you put your fingers up there because it's like what is the right word right Because it's because we want to say normal, correct? They're not not abnormal. We we fight this stigma all the time. Every time we say normal, we pretend that we are abnormal, which is not the truth. Even sitting, even sitting in meetings with drug companies who come into my office and then they want to talk about levels of illness. Well, my patients aren't ill. Yeah. They're not ill. We're, they're not severely ill or mildly ill. They're not ill at all. And so I have fought even with drug companies. Can we please not even make these PowerPoints, these slide decks that say my patients are ill because they are not. So it's for me to say, how far are you away from normal air quotes? It really, it's just even disheartening to me to even say, because our verbiage is just wrong yeah. and it's condescending and it's invalidates people because we're not not normal no we're just like, different i always say we're yeah, yeah yeah i always just say we're different right because it's what is different. normal right because there's not, not really a thing absolutely we're not broken we're different it's yeah. my it is i need to have t-shirts made we're not broken we are different and there are a lot of us 
and we don't even know who each other are because we've been trained to think we're broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I I hundred percent agree with you. And like I, I mean, I could talk for hours about <laughs> the terminology because it is such a thing. So so you said that this kind of objective test does the kind of you know they they press the screen and um, it's also a camera right as well tracks your activity levels. Correct. So there is almost animation when you see people who make like CGI animation and actors are covered with little mm -hmm. balls and then the camera picks up the balls and yeah. monitors the motion it is very similar their whole wow. body is not covered with these little balls of animation <laughs> um but there's one right you know on the top of their forehead the greatest thing is that this test does not only pick up these big motions that little kids make these big movements that um little hyperactive kids make, right? They're all over the place. Mm -hmm. It will pick up micro events, tiny itty bitty movements that people make, especially as adults or people who have inattentive type of ADHD, especially these tiny little bitty movements that, you know, are masking or just our way to stem, hold still, hold still, don't move. Yeah. But that tiny little dot of that picks up the movement can really get down to the core of these micro movements. Mm -hmm. um, lots of adults say, well, I don't have hyperactivity. Well, actually you fidget the whole time. Yeah. You are hyperactive because you don't look like a little kid who's bouncing off of walls. There's no way you could be hyperactive when in reality you move way more than your peers. Yeah. 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 And, and the and camera and picks that up. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? I'm not hyper because we're not this, oh, I'm going to scream. I'm going to have to get out of my seat every two minutes. Yeah. I'm not on the go like a motor obviously you can your brain can be on the go like the motor but absolutely you know, sometimes it's literally just like i'm moving now like it's just sometimes it's just tiny movements and it picks it up so when you've gone through kind of the camera and the 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 actual test what is it that kind of you and your patients get will you rephrase that what do you mean what do we get like in the end of the test do like yeah. paperwork do i get results okay yeah so um the test ends after 20 minutes for adults, anyone over 12, um, and out pops a three-page report. Mm -hmm. So I get um, basically information on, uh, so ba the first page is very much a conclusion page. Mm -hmm. A few little, few pieces of information with the numerical data that makes those pieces of information, diagnostic or undiagnostic, of, or indicative, I should say, mm -hmm. indicative of hyperactivity and attentiveness and impulsiveness. And so it really is like a patient assessment report. It gives the, the numbers for all of those and then graphs you based on your peers in the amount of movement that you have. Okay. Um, and so that is really the first page I show people. I show them this is, this is what your peers look like. And this is what you look like in this graph of movement. And so people are always shocked. They'll say, I held still. Well, you thought you did. You may, you're right. You may not have made these big, large gestures and climbed walls or on the computer desk, but those <laughs> tiny little movements are still visible. Yeah. And so it usually then they're either validated or shocked. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's usually a, it's usually a, 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 a very changing piece of the appointment that is where things shift from i'm insecure i don't know what's happening i'm not hyperactive i don't look like that right and so when they see this they're very they, they see now something tangible that indicates how they appear to others and their symptoms are not someone else's ideas yeah objective not subjective which is what Correct. i really like so how do you use this in kind of you know this is obviously for the the patient's feedback so do you use this in your diagnostic process or how is it used so i use it in the diagnosis process because they let me rephrase to diagnose ADHD, it's a clinical diagnosis. Hmm. It is. It is. Do you meet the criteria? 
And I don't get to change that. That is the that is the diagnosis. That is how me and every other provider is supposed to approach ADHD. Do you meet the criteria? For me, QB Tech is not necessarily diagnostic, but it's very indicative okay. and very informative of you compared to your peers. Yeah. Right. So it isn't subjective. What do you look like? What are your symptoms compared to other people? This is this is how truly are you compared to other people in movement? Yeah. How how really are you compared? I can't judge that because I may not catch every micro movement that you make or the camera, the computer, that brain is way faster than mine, even as with ADHD. (laughs) It catches more. So no, is it diagnostic? No, you still have to have all of those other components. Um, Usually though, um, when they have filled out all of their information, they come in and I have my interview with them and we go over their symptomology. Almost always, um, if they're in my office, if they've gotten to me, let me say, if they've gotten to my office, um, they have displayed these things before. Yeah. So it is very, it, I use it more than anything as validation to confirm what we already suspected. Mm. Yeah. So no, as a standalone, it is not diagnostic. You still have to meet the criteria. You still have to have the symptoms. When did they start? All of those things, this machine does not know. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. know when your symptoms started. Have you been hyperactive since you were six? The machine does not know. Yeah. So it is the, the, bringing, them, the, the bringing of all that together that really makes the diagnosis stronger. Yeah, so it's like an additional thing rather than like the actual thing in place. It's an additional thing. But I like that because I find is, is I know for myself, is sometimes you question it or other people in your life question it, right? Is it, it you know, is it subjective? So having this there, just like, oh my God, all these years is, it's like proof of almost because obviously because the diagnosis process is so subjective and it's it really subjective. Is. It's the validation. And I think that's amazing the way that you use that. I also um, use the timeframes on the test. The test is, you know, separated out in quarters, mm. especially for like high school students who are about to go to college. I will look yeah. at their impulsivity levels. If they go from normal to impulsive in the first 10 minutes, they need to know that. Yeah. They need to know, yes, you have ADHD. Yes, we're impulsive by nature. Lots of us is it very common. It is one of our core problems yeah. of that, you know, that shows itself. What happens in that 10 minutes? I tell them, does that mean someone comes over and you make rash decisions in that, that first 10 minutes? No, we, you're going to wait. You're going to wait a while. If someone suddenly comes over on Friday night and you're hanging out and 10 minutes later, they say, hey, let's go to a party. I tell my patients, no, you say no. Yeah. If you want me to go to a party suddenly, you should have asked me three days ago and let me think about it. Mm-hmm. Not 10 minutes, not 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I think that with the way the test is broken down in those quarters with every five minutes, how does that look? What changes in five minutes? Are you not hyperactive for the first 10 minutes? Are you focused in that first three, five minutes as a little kid? Well, we know that little kid is hyperactive in four minutes. Maybe we don't make them sit down for 10 minutes. We've, we've just lost half the time. If they are in it, if they hold it together for 12 minutes, well, maybe we teach them in 12 minute increments and let them get up and move around and change tasks. And then they get to come back. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. can be personalized in that way. It's just indicative of your, your symptomology and how can we make that better? Wow. Absolutely amazing. And I think that's a good time to kind of have a quick break. And when we come back, we're kind of going to kind of talk about kind of how the next step, because obviously we've been talking a lot about diagnosis and how you diagnose, but also how this added, you know, technology here gives, it's not part of the diagnosis process, but it gives that validation. And then we're going to kind of go into that second half, which you said is that treatment. And then, you know, do we bring that back in here? So thanks so much, Amy. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And we're out. 
If you would like any more information on Indigo Hub or our Indigo support group, then please check out our website below or our link to our social media platforms or email at indigohub.adhd at gmail.com. If you would like to offer any comments, feedback, get support, or if you're interested in the world hearing your story, then please reach out through any of our avenues. As said before, have a positive week. Check in again later. And we're out. And we're back. And as always, which I always say after the first half, is that we end up talking and then it's like, all oh, right, we could mention that in this half. So <laughs> it happens with every person because guess what? We have ADHD. So we go. And um, so if, if you uh, joined us before, we were talking to Amy about kind of the diagnosis process and the kind of really cool technology of QB Tech of an objective kind of test to give kind of clients and uh, patients kind of that validation. And now I kind of want to talk to you about kind of that next step, because you mentioned it that, and this is a big thing that I find, especially in the UK is, is something that we, we've got to develop is the actual treatment. Because I find that the diagnosis is, you know, quite successful, even though there's a long wait in this, but um, there's, it's this treatment that is still quite unknown. So I'd like to hear kind of your perspective of kind of what you do when after the diagnosis is kind of done. So I um, give people all of the options that are out there. I use evidence-based medicine. Uh, currently, first-line treatment for ADHD here in the U.S. is stimulant medication. Yes. Second-line treatment um, is stimulant medication. Yeah. Third-line treatment is non-stimulant medication. Then we get into therapies, um, behavioral therapies for children and parents, really. Mm. Um, and those are uh, really additions. Um, even recently, there is an, a, an, a game, children, uh, a prescription game to treat ADHD. Wow. So I have people doing that. It's showing great results, um, even better, significantly better results with a stimulant medication. Yeah. So whenever you do any of these things and you add any therapies with medication, they are almost always not almost always, always, statistically always, um, mm. if you can say that, I guess if it's statistically, maybe not always, but um, they will so. do better. They will do better. So once again, here in Kansas, as in many places around the world, uh, stimulant medication has stigmas. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I fight that quite a bit. I just give parents the information. Um and tell them what we know. I give them the statistics that I didn't make. They're from government, you know, they're from mm. trusted resources. Um, and we usually go from there. But I often tell parents um, if their child had any other disorder, anything else different about them, they would not ask me for third line treatment. They would ask me for, for if their child had cancer and I gave their child the third best medicine, they would be at my doorstep. And I'm I'm not comparing neurodivergence to cancer just the thought process of treatment. Um, they, they wouldn't do that. And I so I, I just tell parents to get educated. I give them all the education that I have, all the knowledge that I have. Um, and we go from there, but usually first line treatment, unless contraindicated is stimulant medication. Yeah. And that's the same in the UK. So the UK, it's the first line to be honest though, with the UK, it's usually with a, with quite a, you know, and I'm not saying always, but in a lot of my experience and in a lot of my clients and people around, it's usually the only one that people give because it's the only one that people know, um, it, especially over here. But I like that, that that multimodal, right, because that is the best approach is when you've got similar medication along with something else is the best approach because then you, you're given every support out there that they can get to learn about themselves, to make them work with the brain and all that stuff. And I like that you that you offer all of it because I think that's really crucial. It is. And when we start talking about treatment to pretend that there is only one option, even, even first line treatment, and I, I go with first line treatment. Yeah, of course. There, 
there are times when we are not allowed to do first line treatment. Uh, So the treatment for women becomes especially problematic when a young girl, there will come a time more than likely in her life where she will not be able to take stimulant medication. So if she's pregnant or breastfeeding, we have to make other arrangements. And so those are the times when those defense mechanisms and therapies, they all come into play and we give her extra support. We make it all okay. It doesn't have to be, oh, you're a new mom, you're off your medicine, but you didn't get your laundry done. No, that's okay. You're an ADHD in that we, lots of us struggle with laundry. It's our arch nemesis. So those are the girls that then, yes, for community rallies and someone comes helps with laundry. Um, Someone comes and helps with organization. Someone comes and helps and gives her a break from a screaming baby when lots of us are overstimulated by sound. Yeah. So there are times when medicines are not going to work. And so it's imperative that these children, especially in adults, um, get every therapy and support they can get. Yeah. Because it's not always one answer, always every day, forever, for everyone. Yeah, not one size fits all, right? Because obviously not not. one part of uh, of ADHD will ever be the same. Oh my goodness, no, never. Ever. We are all very much alike and very, very different individuals. Yeah, we sure are. (laughs) We sure are. And you said there that what I really like is you brought the stigma thing in. Because with treatment, yet again, here we are with the one, probably one of the number one pitfalls, the main one, is stigma when it comes to obviously medication. And I like that to fight that you give them the correct information. Oh, absolutely. I give them all the information, the newest information that I have. Mm. Um, And it does not come with my own set of morals or judgment. Mm. It's, it, it really is textbook medicine. Um, There are, we have protocols to do it. And so it's not about what do I think about stimulant medication as an, you know, just judgment. That's not for me to judge. It's for me to do what I'm supposed to do and follow the algorithms made and treatment guidelines that are there for a reason. There is lots of gray in medicine. There is. Um, But sometimes the starting point is very clear. Mm. Very clear. It is very clear with that first that that first point, and I like I like that that you because I I have heard when it you know it de- depending on what treatment you get depends on somebody's opinion and stuff like that, and I like that you keep it yet again objective. So is there a way of um and I I know that you've mentioned this before about using kind of the QB tech with kind of medication? Yes. So when someone initially comes in and they take their test and they're unmedicated, untreated, um, that information we then use after treatment as well. So they will come in after stabilization. Not everyone gets the same medicine. Not everyone gets the same dose. Mm -hmm. Are there side effects? You know, there is a very thin line between symptom resolution and side effect. And that very thin line is different for everyone. So after a few months and they are stable and we have figured out what's best for them, um, we retest them on medication. Wow. Um, and then we compare the two. QB Tech actually gives us the option to compare the first test with the second test. We were allowed to put in what medications they are on, how long ago did they take that medication, and really compare, doesn't matter what medication, compare um, medicated and unmedicated or what other intervention there is. Wow. So I have retested children on stimulants, different stimulants, different doses. I have retested children who were on a stimulant and their parents um, decided that they wanted them to be on a non-stimulant, usually due to stigma. Um, They have gotten, you know, feedback from their community, their parents, the grandparents, aunts, uncles, someone else who has had, whether they had a negative experience or just in general, the stigma with the media um, or really just naive. They just don't know. Um, So they get worked up, they're scared. um, And so they want a non-stimulant. And then we even retest those children. And the differences between the stimulant and non-stimulant group indicated on QB is within itself 
is dramatic, dramatic. In what way? So we use it. Um, for instance, recently I had a child that was um, came to me medicated. She came to me on vitamins, um, a stimulant medication, uh, very popular here in the U.S. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's a good drug. I see great symptom resolution, and her parents wanted her moved to a non-stimulant. We did that um, happily. Happily, that's fine. We always, of course, take in always patients desires, right? Like that's a piece of that puzzle. Um, so we take in and we changed her to a non-stimulant stable on a non-stimulant. Um, as far as her parents were concerned, they were, um, still would notice hyperactivity, impulsivity, emotional dysregulation. However, um, they felt like the emotional dysregulation was the biggest portion that affected their daily household. They did see um, a decrease in her um, emotional dysregulation moving to a non-stimulant, um, but not knowing her prior, I don't know how she was prior to the stimulant usage. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Um, but the numbers for inattentiveness were quadruple the numbers on Vivian. Her um, activity level was over double. Oh my Her impulsivity was increased. So we weren't talking just a slight, yeah. you know, increase in symptoms. We're quadruple in inattentiveness. Oh my and goodness. so if you think a child that cannot pay attention for longer than a few minutes isn't going to miss something imperative about their life, that's, that's, that's just... I, th I think that's almost impossible. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So what what does that look like for this little girl? So she went from being on Vyvanse, her attentive level was in complete perfection, perfection on the normal again, right? Average. Yeah, yeah. So then she's off the charts. Well, what does that mean when she starts to drive? What does that mean for our society when these inattentive children are then placed into adult situations? Mm -hmm. Do they make mistakes at work and lose their job? Do they get in a car wreck and hurt themselves or someone else? Do they, you know, make life changing omissions that weren't even intentional, but they missed them. So, you know, there's more challenges than just, are they getting straight A's in school? Oh yes. There's way more. And sometimes more, they're more imperative. Right. And and I like that, what you just said there, that you, you use it to see, because there's so many people that I meet that are like, oh, I'm on the right, the, my doctor's told me this is the right medication, blah, blah, blah. It's not really doing much, you know, it's not, you know, or, or it's doing loads, but I, I don't really know what it's doing. And this, you know, having one before and having one after can show, you know, if you're on the right medication, if it's the right thing, and to show yet again, validation. Validation, for sure. Absolutely. Even I have a teenage child off the charts, 98 percentile, 99 percentile and, <laughs> you know, activity compared to their peers on she on a stimulant medication. Everything about her um, movement and inattentiveness on the normal range. Wow. The accept the so society acceptable normal range. Yeah, no, right? don't worry, we got it. We got it. <laughs> So it's, it's, it can be life-changing for these kids, especially adults. I mean, it is as well. Yeah. Um, but when a child or an adult has grown up thinking that they are bad kids, that they are stupid because they cannot complete the task that their other peers complete, um, to be able to not even feel those differences, but to see those differences in objective data, once again, is very validating. Yeah. And to show that, especially when someone is, you know, has that stigma against medication and then they, you know, they try it to have that. Wow. You know, look at the difference that it can make, because like you said earlier, like, you know, we use it. I always say it with diabetes, right? You give a kid insulin if they had diabetes. So and it's no question. There's no question about it. You do what the doctor says, right? Because you want them to. And it's the same thing. And all of those are dictated over a number. 
Yes. It's a blood test. It's objective, right? Yes. The, the, the lab test is just the lab test. Every once in a while, it can be broken, but the lab test is yeah. the lab test. Is it this? Is it over this number? Is it once again different than normal? Yeah. That means they have diabetes and now they start medication. Yeah. So with the subjectiveness of an ADHD diagnosis, um, that is difficult. With the objectiveness of QB added in, mm-hmm. it makes those decisions a little easier for patients. Yeah. Oh, here's a number. Here it is. Let's get these symptoms under control underneath this number. Yeah. And then it's not having to communicate with other people on is this real? Are you sure? Are you yeah, are you sure yeah. you have ADHD? Yes, I saw the I saw the numbers. I have the results. Do you want to see the results? Yeah. This these it's it's yeah tangible. Yeah. And it's you can hold it in your hand. I was just about to say that they can grasp it. I was just we had the same thought. They can grasp it, it's context, they can show people. But what I like that you don't only use it obviously as as, as an additional tool in the that, you know, in the process before, you also use it after with the medication because there's so many people I know that think oh this medication is okay but really it's actually not the right dosage or not the right you know and it can also help with that because there's no way of yet again subjective how do you feel on medication (laughs) I don't know how I meant to feel you know again don't remember yeah because we'll forget right so even if you start medication especially as an adult yeah um we will forget and even if we know the words we want to say, lots of times, lots of us just can't spit them out. Yeah. So little kids, they know they feel a way. They, they, they just don't know how to say it. They don't have the words. Yeah. And even an adult will say, well, I took notes, but I forgot to bring my notebook. I, I think I felt this way, but I'm not certain. I feel great most days, but, mm. you know, so we give them the test. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see how well. This medicine is working for you, um, if at all. If it is it something else tangible, or are you still holding perfectly still for masking? And um, we know now that you you know you're just going to do that. It's acceptance. Yeah. It's, wow. it's it's acceptance of who we are, even when you take the test unmedicated and it says you still have ADHD. Yeah. It's not going to go away. No. It's a, it's a, it's neurodivergence. Mm. It's not because you're broken. It's not going to go away. Yeah. So you, once again, validation, it's not going to go away. Can get better. We learn coping skills. We, we get our brains on the right check to learn coping skills and we learn about ourselves and we accept ourselves for who we are. And those things are now not personality flaws. They're just a piece of our neurodivergence. So the anxiety and the depression that we often feel because we don't fit in necessarily, those things are lifted because now we're validated and we're understanding, we learn new things and we reach out and get support. And then we accept those things. Okay, I didn't do seven loads of laundry today. It's okay. I also, though, I did all of these other things and I'm creative and I love my family and I may not have done seven loads of laundry that all the other moms are supposed to do, but I did like 20 other things that other moms didn't even think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think that's because especially when you're an adult and you get diagnosed as an adult and you've had years and years and years thinking you strange, weird, don't fit in and you've had all those struggles. Sometimes that subjective opinion is not enough because so yeah. many of my so many of my clients like that come to me for coaching, it's it's well I don't believe you you know I don't it's not because they don't have that evidence objective stuff and here it is before after and I I'm going to put my hands up and I'm proof that mm-hmm. ADHD doesn't go away because I took the QB te- test. And I, I've been going through coaching. I've had all the multi occupational therapist, coach, therapist, medication. And still now my ADHD is just as apparent as it was. However, my coping and everything else, I'm not coping anymore. I'm living and it's part of who I am. 
is so much better, but it doesn't go away. And for me, that was validation that, wow, if my ADHD is still as, you know, as apparent as it was back then, I'm doing a pretty good damn job now. Absolutely. You're also, that acceptance comes lessening of, of symptoms because you're not masking anymore. You're not exhausted. You're not overwhelmed by just trying to hold it together to be average, yeah. right? So that acceptance alone just let's go. Yeah. The stigma, yes, I'm neurodivergent. Yes, I am. You're right. I may fidget. I may mask. I may stim with my fingers. I may talk too much. I may interrupt, but I'm still valid. I'm still worthy. I'm still intelligent. I'm still all of those things. But now you just have to, not just me, everyone else has to just know who I am. Subjective and objective with QB Tech. Absolutely. No question. No, no question. And, it's helpful. And that's quite a nice kind of wrap up. I was just about to say, do you have any like last words or last thoughts? But I think that I, you know, I'm valid on this and and this is real and I am who I am is is such a great way. But any last thoughts anyway? <laughs> I think if anyone ever takes anything away from me. Um, I truly do hope that it is, um, you're not broken, you're just different. And actually, we're not all that rare. There are more of us than you can even consider. Um, but because we look different, people miss us. So I really, really hope that people just understand that they aren't broken, they are just different, and they don't have to hide who they are. They do not have to be ashamed of being different. There are when people get their diagnosis, I was, you know, I was just reading about an article written in like 2017 Harvard Business Review about how neurodiversity has a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. If we could have jobs and acceptance at employers who make, you know, who make accommodations for us, who um, specifically in my office, I'm super sensitive to sound. I don't have lights on because they buzz. So luckily I live in my own office where I can turn those lights off and that doesn't bother anyone because I'm the boss. I've made my own accommodations. Yes. But what if we made accommodations for other people in their office to have the lights off if they buzz or, yeah. or whatever that may look like, we're all different. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, this isn't new information. This Harvard Business Review 2017, it's not new, but if it doesn't get into the right hands or if people don't even know that for years and years and years, they've been talking about us. When you don't know you're part of the us, you don't even know where to start. Mm. So if they can get their diagnosis, get some validation, get treatment and acceptance, then we'll, we'll conquer anything. Wow, I like that. Yeah, subjective and objective. That's my, that's my take. Absolutely. And Absolutely. And I, I think that this is really special. And I, I think that for me, what I'm taking away is kind of this, if you're not, if you, you know, you're not getting this validation and stuff from your provider, go find someone else because oh, absolutely. There, there are people, look, your proof, there are people out there that do the, you know, do the subjective objective on the other side for multimodal treatment and it works. It does and work. It yeah. does. It does work. Yeah. And we're better. We're better with the understanding of what's happening to us. Yeah. So don't don't settle. Go and find no, no. what you need to do and what you need and validate of who you are. Because like Amy says, we're just different. Just different. Yeah. There is yes, there aren't a lot of us out here. Um you know, doing, you know, specializing in ADHD treatment. There aren't a lot, but there are more, you just have to find them, seek them out. We're here. Um, but a, an accurate diagnosis from someone who understands yeah. is, is irreplaceable. Yeah. And I, I'm going to leave it at that. So Amy, if people want to find you, where can they find you? So Good question. Um, so currently, currently I am a piece of um, of a partnership practice. I will um, 
be actually I am moving to a singular office to to solely focus on ADHD treatment, neurodivergent um, treatment, ADHD autism. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of my new clinic will actually be called the Neurodivergent Consultants of Kansas. Oh, nice. So my doors will be opening in my new location August 1st. Someone can Google me on psychology today and be able to get all of the information to see me um, if they live in Kansas. Yeah. Um, so we um, telemedicine, I do telemedicine. I'm actually, I believe, the only provider in Kansas that does QB tech through telemedicine in the state of Kansas. Wow. Um, I, you know, there, there are others like me, we just have to find them. So don't be discouraged if those people are not in your area. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out eventually. Um, but keep looking, we're around. Mm-hmm. Keep looking, keep looking for the diagnosis and treatment that you deserve. So Absolutely. thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been, well, such thank a you for having me. Oh no, great conversation. And and really, really in depth and I hope that that people take something away from this um and just know that you know we'll be dropping a new episode again in the next two weeks and if you're interested on coming on as a guest as a professional or you want the world to hear your story in series one then please reach out through our social media avenues and all the information on where you can find any anything that was mentioned today is always below in the description so Thanks again, Amy. And I hope you come learn, listen and experience the world through not my eyes, but our eyes. Why not? Have an amazing week. We're different and that's okay. Okay, it's all right. And we're out. Dear Diary, as Indigo Hub's process goes on, it makes me stop and wonder, could there be more for us? More light, more experience and more ways to see the world through our own eyes. I think this journey will be... Shh.